a reading from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. So this morning, I'm excited to share that we have a guest preacher, so to speak. Um, her name is Erin Clifford. We've been going through the book of Philippians, and if you recall uh, where we've been, or if you know anything about the book of Philippians, you know that the Apostle Paul, hey, <laughs> you know that the Apostle Paul had uh, received a vision, a dream, uh, to go to this place um, which would be known as Philippi, and uh, he saw Macedonian men in the dream, and so he and a band of brothers set forth to go find the end of this dream. And so he goes to Philippi, and he's looking for the men. He's looking for the synagogue. He can't find either, but instead he finds a group of faithful women seeking the Lord, led by a woman named Lydia. Well, today uh, it's my joy to introduce Aaron Clifford, who's a faithful woman seeking the Lord and leading others in the Lord. I met Aaron over in London at Holy Trinity Brompton, where she used to be on staff. And she has since moved to the States, and um, she serves, now get this, this is a big title, as the Director of Spiritual and Missional Direction or Engagement Formation at Fuller Theological Seminary. You guys got that? There's going to be a quiz. Director of Spiritual and Missional Formation at Fuller Theological Seminary. Prior to that, she was in charge of all interns at a global missions organization called IJM. And so, um, would you extend a warm Charleston Daniel Island Fellowship welcome to our guest, Aaron Clifford? Well, it's great to be with you guys again today. Uh, if I'm a familiar face, um, it's not because I'm stalking you. I was here in February. Um, so you've seen this face before. And it's always a joy to be here. Um, it's always a joy to hang out with the Sorensons. Um, they always show me a good time. My favorite thing is sitting by the fire in the Sorensen backyard. It's very fun. Um, and actually, when I first got here, I was um, texting with Paul. And he said, you know, to come on down to their house. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm running 10 minutes late. And he said, it's OK. It's Charleston. <laughs> it's Charleston. So I'm getting into the, you know, the chill of Charleston, literally the chill of Charleston right now. Uh, I'm from Washington, D.C. That's where I live now. Um, and yes, have a long title, but don't let it fool you. It doesn't mean anything. Um, so we're looking today at uh, Philippians 4, and we're getting a little bit out of the order of the series that you guys are in. 
But we're looking at Philippians 4, this passage where Paul encourages the people, dare I say commands the people, to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's exclamation points here. There's repetition here. Whenever we see either of those things in scripture, we always want to stop and take note because it means that there's something here for us to really take in. It means that Paul is serious about it. That's not always true with me and say my emails with exclamation points. I use a lot of exclamation points in my emails. In fact, my last computer, the number one key broke because I use so many exclamation points. But with Paul, he does not use them everywhere. He means it when he says it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What Paul is saying in this passage to us is that we have the choice to rejoice. It is a choice. How is your joy meter this morning? That's not a question of condemnation or shame or that's just a question of where is joy in your life right now? Maybe number one, maybe it's down, you know, number one, you're saying, Aaron, I haven't really felt joy, real deep joy in a very long time. Maybe it's up at number 10 and, you know, you're just bouncing off the walls. You're so excited. Um, I might be at number 10 this morning. Uh, I might naturally always be at number 10, but don't worry about that. Um, Number 10, maybe your joy's up there. Well, the good news is that joy comes from God. It doesn't have to come through us, through our personalities. Um, I loved the very appropriate British reading this morning. Um, I lived in London for seven years. I'm actually ordained there in the Church of England. I'm an Anglican priest. And I loved my time in England. And whenever I would talk about joy in the scriptures in England, um, I would always get this from my British friends. They would say, oh, Aaron, joy is not very British. (laughs) Joy is not very British. Um, Excuse the terrible British accent. Um, I lived through bad American accents for seven years, so I, I feel like I can give it back now. Um, so joy, yes, they would say is not very British. And I would say, you're right. And some people say, well, joy is for the extroverts, right? <laughs> joy is for the extroverts. If you're an introvert in this room, you're like, yeah, 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 you know. Paul's always joyful. He's just an extrovert. Um, no, joy isn't characteristic of a personality. It's not even part of a culture. It's part of who God is. It's part of the divine nature. And this is good news to us who feel closer to number one or two this morning on the scale, is that our joy can be restored. Remember that prayer in scripture, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And Paul would say it is a choice to rejoice, and it's one that we can make. So he gives us three instructions, three things to help us in this passage with restoring our joy, with making that choice to have joy be restored in our lives. And the first is to recognize that God is joyful. And there's really a battle around joy in our lives. Uh, It's actually something that I think is something the enemy, who we know from scripture, longs to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's his game plan. Whereas God has come that we might have life and have it to the full, Jesus said. There's a battle around joy. When I was younger and I was at camp, uh, my stepmom sent me this cartoon. It's got these women holding their handbags, the devil on the ground with stars, says, he tried to steal my joy. (laughs) So they hit him with their handbags. And I always carry this picture in my mind because there is a battle for our joy. And all of us will go through difficult circumstances. That's just a part of being human. That's just a part of living in a broken world where there is sadness and there is death and there is mourning. 
But there's an ability as a follower of Jesus to be able to choose joy, to be able to allow joy to grow even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Where is Paul when he's writing this part of his letter? Have we learned that about Philippians? He's in prison. He's in prison. And yet he's commanding the church to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's in the most dire circumstances. How could he ask the church to be joyful? How could he expect to be joyful? Because it comes from God. It's part of God's nature. And joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness has to do with our happenings, what's happening in our life, our circumstances. And like the weather in Charleston, as I've experienced this week, it goes up and down. (laughs) Sometimes fantastic, sometimes pouring buckets, right? That's our happiness. Joy is not like that. Joy through scripture is a profound, compelling, gut-level quality of life that transcends events and circumstances and disasters which might happen in our lives. Joy is a divine dimension of living. In the Hebrew, the word joy means to leap or spin around with pleasure. (laughs) And in the Greek, it means gladness, bliss, and celebration. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not up to us like any fruit. You know, the apple doesn't sit on the tree and go, become green, become green, become green to itself. No, it ripens over time. The fruit of the Spirit is grown by the Holy Spirit, and it ripens in our lives over time. Those those in the room who've been followers of Jesus for years will probably tell us that that natural gut-level joy, that peace which surpasses, or I would say contradicts often our circumstances, has grown over over the years in their walk with God. So recognizing God as joyful. Zephaniah chapter 3 says this, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We don't often think of God as rejoicing over us with singing. In fact, depending on how you came to Christ, and maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you're just here for, you know, the good lunch afterwards or whatever, you're welcome. Um, Church is the best place to be to ask questions about faith. If you're going to go somewhere and ask about faith and wonder about God, Church is a great place to be for that. Or maybe you're someone who's followed Jesus for years, but you don't even think of God as joyful. We think of God maybe as having a list. Maybe he's up in, up in heaven. Maybe he's angry at us. That's kind of a classic image of God, but it's not the truth of who God is. God is joyful. He rejoiced over you with singing when you woke up this morning. Did you have that sensation? Did you look in the mirror and go, "Woo! I look good. God's excited. Probably not. And maybe the people you live with didn't turn to you and rejoice over you with singing this morning. But the truth is God rejoices over us. He rejoices over his work. Psalm 104 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Isaiah 65, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. God delights in you. He delights in you as creation. And it's not because he's ignoring the parts of you that, you know, haven't, haven't had a great week. We'll put it that way. <laughs> the parts of you that you would rather stick in the closet. Oh, I keep falling through this crack. Don't worry. Um, the, uh, it's not that he delights. You have those parts of you you would love to hide from yourself. 
One of my friends said that to me, Erin. She said, the trouble with sin is, and my sin, she said, is that wherever I go, there I am. <laughs> we go with us wherever we go. And those parts of us we would love to ignore or change or hide in the closet. The beauty of the gospel is God sees those parts too. We're not hiding that from him. And yet he rejoices over us with singing because of his grace. So we recognize that God is joyful. And we recognize it's not just us that have to muster joy. Secondly, Paul says we replace anxiety with prayer. We replace anxiety with prayer. He says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious about nothing. For a lot of us, that sounds like an impossible task. <laughs> I mean, Charleston, you're very chill, right? Charleston's very chill, very relaxed. We get a little stressed up in Washington, D.C. I'll put it out there, you know? I live on the hill, and you can kind of feel the stress emanating from all the buildings. Um, there's anxiety and stress up in Washington. And maybe you've once or twice in your life also felt a bit of anxiety. Someone once said that uh, there's, a, there's a passage in Scripture that says, um, you know, to pray continuously. Pray continuously. And someone once said to me, Aaron, that sounds impossible. And I said, well, I heard once that someone, uh, when someone was talking about this passage, they said, well, don't we worry continuously? <laughs> Have you ever worried continuously? That feels pretty natural. They said the difference is between worry and prayer is just the audience of our thoughts. When we're worrying continuously, the audience of our thoughts is ourselves. We're thinking, we're worrying, we're stressing, we have anxiety. But if we turn the audience who we're talking to to become God, that's prayer. That becomes prayer. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, can we exchange this anxiety with prayer? I saw a crocheted pillow once that said, why pray when you can worry? <laughs> why pray when you can worry? Paul is suggesting the opposite, and I would also suggest that this morning. Why worry when we can pray? What is the promise of God if we do this? The promise of God in this passage is then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that word guard is the word for a garrison or a fortress in the Greek. So it's a picture of the peace of God becoming a fortress around our hearts and around our minds. The peace of God becoming stronger than our circumstances. Have you ever had that experience? You should be super stressed out or very depressed or very anxious about something and you pray and all of a sudden the peace of God comes on you which you couldn't muster in and of yourself. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. peace and joy at any minute, wherever we are. It's a part of being in Christ. So we replace anxiety with prayer. And thirdly, he encourages us to renew your mind with thankfulness. I've always thought this was a weird part of this verse. You know, whatever you do, uh, you know, bring prayer with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, even for children. Um, you know, with thanksgiving at all times. What does that mean? Well, one time I thought I would take God up on this. I was having a difficult day, and I was kind of in my head with my worries. You know, wasn't doing a great job. Even us pastors, you know, have that hard time of taking these worries to God. 
And so I said, all right, Lord, you promise that peace will come on me if I come to you with thanksgiving. And when we're in the middle of a time of worry, I think, and difficulty, it's hard to be grateful. It's very hard to be grateful. It's like going down the highway 60 miles an hour and turning your car around and trying to go the other way. Everything in us is moving this direction. And I would even say that, that the enemy wants us to move that direction. Our whole being is, is, is headed towards death and despair. Someone once said that despair and faith leave from the same terminal. <laughs> the same terminal at the airport. Have you ever been on the plane and they've said like, you know, FYI, this plane is going to Dallas. And if you don't want to go to Dallas, you know, please get off the plane. I've never actually seen anyone get off the plane at that moment. Um, where is your plane headed this morning? Where is your plane headed? Because the, the plane that goes to the land of despair is the same terminal that leaves for the land of faith. It's all about which plane we choose to get onto wherever we're going to land. So choosing thanksgiving. This is the basis for that famous passage in Nehemiah, which says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We often take that passage out of context. What was really going on in Nehemiah at the time? What was really happening is that they had just discovered the law. So they had lost the law, the people of God. All of a sudden they found it. And they're looking at this list of ways to live to honor God. And they're going, oh, that's a bummer. It says, don't do this. We've been doing that for a while. <laughs> they're like, oh, oh gosh, it says we should do this. or we haven't done that for years. You know, and they're looking at this list and they're, it says they became mournful and sad. It's a bit, I said, like losing a, like finding a recipe after you've made the cake, you know, <laughs> like, oh no, I forgot the baking soda. Oh, I should have put in more sugar, you know, whatever it is. They're the people of God. They're wanting to honor him with their lives, and they find the law, and they think, but bummer, this isn't how we've been living. And they became mournful. It says then that God spoke through his prophet, and he said, no, make a feast. Create a celebration. Have a party, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. What's he saying there? He's saying, don't be mournful about the distance between what I long for for you and where you are, because what meets that distance is grace. The bridge across that space is not your own effort, but grace. And don't we know that this side of the cross? If you're a believer here this morning, you have so much to be thankful for just in the gospel, just in knowing that Christ has bridged that gap that you and I could never bridge. There is much to be thankful for, even just in Christ. I have a friend, and she says that she preaches the gospel to herself every morning. Every morning before her feet hit the floor, she says these four things. In Christ I am loved unconditionally, forgiven completely, accepted totally, and God's daughter eternally. Just in the gospel, the joy of the Lord can be our strength. That word that Paul talks about when he uses joy, he chooses a version of that word in the Greek that's connected with the word grace. We can find joy, we can choose to rejoice because of the grace we know is in our lives. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, God. 
And maybe that's a prayer for some of us this morning. There's a woman in a hospital bed, and she has been in that hospital for a long time. And if any of you have known what that's like to sit in a hospital bed day after day, it can be a really sad, dark place. I was saying in the morning service, if you know anyone in the hospital, um, go and visit them. Uh, It's a place that needs a lot of joy and hope. And she's in this hospital bed, and her friend comes to visit her. And when he comes in, he notices that she's smiling. He's thinking, how can she be smiling? She's been in here day after day. And she points out the window, and she says, do you see that bird? It's a robin, and he sings to me all day. And she said, even in the rain, when most birds fly away, the robin continues to sing through the rain. Paul is saying to us, it's possible for us to sing even in the rain if we know Jesus, if we have his Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us as we finish. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this encouragement from Paul to rejoice in the Lord always. But God, it does often feel like a turning of gears in our head and our minds. Would you, Father, renew our minds? Would you be the God who comes in and does this work for us by your spirit? Not because of anything we could do, but just because of grace. Thank you, Father, for the things in our lives that we can be thankful for this morning. Would you help us this week to think on what is pure, what is noble, what is beautiful, as Paul encourages us? And Father, would you bring that peace which surpasses our understanding? Would you build that fortress around our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that our lives may be a testament to you, to your grace, to your peace, and to your joy? In Jesus' name, amen.